if I can take you back in history just a three quarters of a century ago, Armistice Day, not the original Armistice Day, but Armistice Day 1946. Do any of you know what happened that day? Right here in the city of Newark. Armistice Day 1946. A beautiful baby boy was born. <laughs> and at the same moment, he became a citizen of the United States. See, most of us are born citizens of some country. When we're saved, when we're born again, when we're born from above, we get dual citizenship. Citizenship in heaven, citizenship on earth. When the Lord calls us home or when he comes to uh, call us together, we'll go back to a singularity of citizenship. So you begin with one citizenship, you can move into two citizenship by being born again, being born into the family of God, and then we go back to being a citizen of heaven alone. There was a time in our country when every person in America knew the Ten Commandments. It was a cornerstone of our ethics, of our morality. Today, most Americans, you know, cannot even name three of the Ten Commandments. There was a time when Americans universally disapproved of homosexuality, adultery, divorce. They believed that sexual promiscuity was absolutely wrong. They regarded obscene language as inappropriate. They saw abortion, 63 million babies since 1976. They saw abortion as unthinkable. They held public officials to high moral and ethical standards. Today, most of the behavior of our society, once deemed immoral, is now thought to be a civil right. How times and cultures have changed. The strong Christian influence, the scriptural standards that shaped our Western culture and American society in particular through the 19th century have given way to atheism, relativism. The few vestiges of Christianity that remain in our culture are best weak and compromised. And to an increasingly pagan society, they are, we are cultic, we are bizarre, and it seems as anything and everything must be accepted except biblical Christianity. That they can't accept. In less than 50 years, our nation's political leaders, legislative bodies, and courts have adopted a distinctly anti-Christian attitude and agenda. The country has swept away the Christian worldview, its principles, in the name of equal rights, civil liberties, political correctness, tolerance for anything and everything, as I said, except the biblical worldview and a strict separation of church and state. Gross immorality is abounding in our land. Homosexuality, a word many of us hadn't heard until recently, trans. Abortion, pornography, and other evils have been sanctioned not only by society in general, but they've been approved by the government. For us as Christians in the United States, it can be tempting to think that the answer is legislation. The key to solving the moral problems that plague America must be in our laws. America's moral decline is a spiritual problem. It's not a legislative problem. The courts will never solve it. Laws will never correct it. New hearts, new lives in Christ will do that. So America's moral decline is a spiritual problem, not a political one. 
and its only solution, we have it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. As we come to the book of Philippians, we know that Philippians is kind of a thank you letter. And Paul is wanting to thank the Philippians for a gift that they've sent to him. And he doesn't get to the thank you part to the fourth chapter. And when you get to the fourth chapter, I don't want you to go there now, but he's going back and forth. Thank you for the gift. I really appreciate it. It it didn't come too late. Uh, You didn't have to do it, but it really means a lot to me. He's going back and forth trying to say, how to say thank you without asking for more money. But to say, I really appreciate it. It wouldn't be bad if you sent me some more. And so that's really the theme. We often think the theme of Philippians as the book of joy. And it is a book of joy. But more importantly than that, it's the right-mindedness. It's the book of right-mindedness. If you have the right mind, then joy will follow that. There's two main themes in our text this morning. Our commonwealth, our citizenship is in heaven. It's centered in our heavenly home, our homeland, and the other is looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Two great truths I want to share this morning. The King James says, our conversation is in heaven. That was an old time, 1611 word meaning, our manner of life. The Greek word for citizen, only found once in the Greek New Testament, is polyhemi. You get that word? Politics. Political, the government, the government of our lives is in heaven. What drives us, what moves us, what motivates us. We sang it in the Revelation song. It's all authority is in him, in heaven, in him, in him alone. And so our our text says that the Lord is at hand. The word citizenship, the commonwealth, our state of allegiance, our homeland is in heaven. Maybe you've been away for a while and you say, it's so good to get home. I lived in 18 different addresses by the time I was 20 years old. I don't want to leave home. I don't want to go away anymore. I don't want to be anyplace else, but I want to be home. And that should be the believer's desire. You know, we have a homeland in heaven and that's our real authority looking for our homeland. We speak of going home to heaven. Henry C. Morrison was a great missionary in the early 1900s. He served in Africa for over 40 years. On his way back with his wife from 40 years of missionary service in Africa, he began to wonder, will anyone remember us? Unknown to Henry Morrison, Aboard that ocean liner was Teddy Roosevelt. He was president of the United States at that time, and he had gone to Africa on one of his famous hunting trips. When the ship pulled into New York Harbor, Henry Morrison looked to see if anyone was there to welcome them home. Thousands of people were there, cheering. (laughs) Bands were playing, banners and signs, all saying, welcome home, welcome home. (laughs) Henry and his wife were so excited. But they were among the last to get off the boat, and by the time they got off that ocean liner, no one was there to greet them, for they had come to welcome Teddy Roosevelt. Henry Morrison went to his hotel room brokenhearted. He sat there on the bed and asked his wife, Honey, I just don't get it. For 40 years, we poured out our lives in ministry and service. We come back to America, and not a single soul comes to welcome us. 
His wife came next to him, and so much like my wife, I can hear my wife saying this to me. She put her hand on his shoulder and said, Henry, you've forgotten something. We're not home yet. You may feel forgotten. You may feel overlooked. You may feel hurt in this life. You may come up against lots of barriers and things that hurt and things that you don't understand, and you may feel unappreciated. Can I remind you? You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Paul says our citizenship is. There's a common word for is. That's estin in the Greek. However, there's another word that's used here. And it means from. From of old. Our citizens from of old. You see, it wasn't a new idea that God thought of. Let's see, now I've created man. Man has fallen, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll redeem him. Now what am I going to do? God had all of this worked out. Remember, before the foundation of the world, heaven is of old, and heaven is our homeland. Heaven is our ultimate destiny. And so he says, our commonwealth is from old. From long time ago, God had prepared it. It's not just an afterthought of God, but a great eternal abiding presence that God has with us from everlasting to everlasting. It's not something that lives today and dies tomorrow. His kingdom is one that is eternal. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, as I said, and there were many Roman colonies in Paul's day. Corinth was a Roman colony. Lystra, Syracuse were Roman colonies. But there's only one in the New Testament that is designated as a Roman colony. Acts 16 tells us Philippi is the only one that's designated. And loosing from Troy, we came to Philippi, which is a Roman colony, Acts 16. As a Roman colony, they were made up of about 300 soldiers, soldiers who had gone out to war uh, to fight in some of the wars, the Gallic Wars, the, uh, the Punic Wars, the Asian Wars. These warriors were given a pension and then they were given a land grant. And so probably 300 Romans, a Roman legion, had gone to form the city of Philippi. And they were there to establish a little Rome. So each of these colonies was a little Rome. Philippi was a little Rome. They were proud of their citizenship. This was something special. And these colonies placed all around the Roman Empire, they were heathen, they were barbarians, but they were Roman citizens, just as if they lived in Rome itself, all of the rights and the privileges. And so Paul is writing to a people who are proud of their citizenship. And so it has kind of a double meaning when he says, your citizenship, you're proud of it here in Philippi, but you should be proud of your heavenly citizenship. If we could use the words of Hebrews 11, we are strangers, we are sojourners, we are pilgrims here. We are aliens. Here we have no continuing city. Why do we live as if this earth was all there was ever going to be? Sometimes we put so much time and effort and energy and tears into things of this earth that are going to pass away. My wife and I have been married 46 years, and early on I got concerned about something that was, looking back 46 years, it was a minor thing. And she reminded me, Keep your eye on the eternal. All these things are going to pass away. Keep your eye 
on the eternal. Our commonwealth is in heaven. Citizens of Philippi understood what it meant to be a Roman colony. They were just as, as they were citizens of Rome. We are just as if we are citizens of heaven here and now because that word is in the present tense. Your citizenship will be in heaven? No, it is. It is in heaven. We have dual citizenship. Our faces need to be turned to our homeland, our commonwealth, a state that is called heaven. By that, we don't mean that we're not interested in the things of this world, that we let the things of this world just go away, but we're not to be controlled by the things of this world. If we have ravages of war, civil unrest, a pandemic, we face those dangers. We're part of this world. If there's an economic downturn, we're impacted. If there's inflation, it hits us. High gas prices, yes. Baby formula shortages, yes. Pestilence, disease, COVID, we're all vulnerable to those things. If it's too hot or too cold, it affects us. The laws of our republic and society and organizations in which we live, we need to obey those laws. We share in it. We're not to deny it. We're part of this world system in that sense. But we're also told to pray. Jeremiah 29, 17, speaking to those when the Israelites were in captivity, says to pray for the city where God has placed you. Just before COVID hit, we had begun at the college Wednesday noon prayer for the city of Newark. We were gathering every Wednesday, and people from the community were coming in to pray with us. Why? Because the Bible tells us to pray for the city to which God has called us, where God has placed us. So we need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for our, our leaders, our home and our state and our commonwealth. But realizing our destiny is not here. Our destiny is in heaven. There is, or at least there should be, a greatest distance between the citizens of this world and the citizens of heaven. As, this, as there is between a soaring seraph and a meat-craving vulture. There's a difference between heaven and hell and eternal life and eternal destruction. Uh, God spoke to Moses saying, this night you will know that God puts a difference between the children of Egypt and the children of Israel. There's a difference between us. We are different. There's no denying that. We should be different. For one thing, the citizens of heaven are subject to the Lord God and his rules. We're not to pant after the things of this world. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let's remember that this morning, to seek first the kingdom of God. It's so easy to seek the things of this world and uh, to, be, to gather up things for ourselves. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. A poor English pastor went to see a rich English shipping merchant to ask him for a little gift for the chapel he was building. The shipping merchant was a generous man. He wrote a check for 50 pounds 
and gave it to the pastor for the chapel. The pastor took the check and with gladness was leaving the residence. He went outside the door with a check in hand and was just praising the Lord. Then he overheard a message that was sent to the merchant. The merchant had just lost 6,000 pounds in a shipping accident. The merchant lifted up his voice and called the English pastor. Wait a minute, sir. I've just received terrible news. I've lost 6,000 pounds. The pastor returned, took that check, gave it to the rich man, thinking he meant he was going to receive nothing. The rich man took the check, ripped it up, and wrote out another check for 500 pounds. And he said to the astonished pastor, Sir, when my money can disappear so rapidly and so fast, I must immediately put some in the bank of heaven. We're citizens of God's kingdom. Our commonwealth is in heaven. What God gives us, some have little, some have much, but God gives. We need to devote back to the kingdom of heaven. We're to use it for him. Our commonwealth is in heaven. We don't treasure up things here on earth as if this was the end of all things. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he spoke to his disciples and said, I'm going away. And in my Father's house are many mansions. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And then shortly after that, Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom should not be of this world. Our kingdom is not of this world. Oh, we have here on earth kind of a home, but our real home is in heaven. We have a family circle, circle here, kind of. We have fellowship here, kind of, but it's broken and dissolving. We have a body here, a house made out of dust and clay, subject to all the ills and difficulties that are, we face here on earth. But in nothing and in no way is this the end. This is the state. More and more of our friends are gathering in glory. I've lost five wonderful male friends in the last five years. I'll see them again. They're gathering in glory. They're waiting. So we're just waiting there. Things are dissolving. Treasures, loves, and hopes here will dissolve. But our abiding place is in glory, for we're citizens of another company, country. We're not to live in this world as though we belonged here. We are pilgrims. Indeed, we are aliens. We belong to a heavenly government. We're under a heavenly kingship. There may be some things that are permissible for the things of this world, ways in which they spend their time or spend their money, things they do, that may not be permissible for the child of God. But we move on. We're citizens of another kingdom, governed by laws and love of another realm. As we heard from Revelation this morning, we belong to another kingdom. And our names are, if you're born again, written on that roll, the Lamb's Book of Life. We used to sing when the roll was called up yonder. I'll be there. Our names need to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We share the divine honors of glory. We're the blood and royal seed. Angels are our ministers now. Saints are our companions. Jesus is our elder brother. God is our father. And we're looking forward to a reward, a crown of immorality that never fades. And we will share eternal possessions with him. 
And ours is the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the gates of pearl, the lamb who is the light, the tree that grows by the beautiful river, the healing for the nations. Everything is ours, and we will be heirs and co-heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. But we're not simply going to that kingdom. If you're born again, you are in that kingdom now. Colossians chapter 1, in verses 12 and 13, we read, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his dear son. Conveyed into the kingdom of his dear son. Right now, part of that kingdom. It's ours now. Our hearts and our loves and our prayers and our desires. What a beautiful homeland that's going to be. When Daniel prayed, he opened his window and three times a day he knelt down and prayed toward Jerusalem. His heart was there and he prayed, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I remember thee not, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. He was homesick for Jerusalem. Some of us are homesick for heaven. We're looking forward to that time, to that moment, because First Peter tells us our inheritance is over there. Here we're sojourners, pilgrims, aliens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And our status as believer grants us all the rights and privileges that citizenship brings. The citizenship in heaven. We often hear people say, you can't do that to me, I'm a citizen. Well, we're citizens of heaven. As a church age, we belong to a spiritual dynasty founded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship in heaven gives us certain rights and privileges now. We have the right and privilege to come before the throne of grace. We have the right and privilege to pray for one another. We have the right and privilege to uphold, to encourage one another, to counsel one another with godly counsel, to fellowship with one another. We have the right and privilege to pre present the plan of salvation. That is a right and privilege. We back away from it. But it's a privilege to be able to proclaim his name above every other name. We are the nobility of heaven. Just we're residing here on earth. When we each fulfill our earthly service, God will complete our destiny. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us the difference between the temporal and the eternal. As the aristocrats of heaven residing on earth, we are royal priests. We are ambassadors. We are a royal family. There's royalty here this morning. Look around. There's royalty in our midst. Our royal destiny is to become victors during this time of intense spiritual warfare. Christ is our commander-in-chief. We're citizens of two worlds. We have dual citizenship, but we eagerly await our Savior. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies, our humble bodies, so that they will be like his glorious bodies. Christians have responsibility to pray for the elected leaders and candidates. Paul said in uh, Timothy, I urge you, first of all, that petition, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, 
for kings and all those in authority, that we may live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. Notice the purpose for praying? Quiet and peaceable lives, but not just for political stability and quietness and prosperity, but that there might be the opportunity for the gospel to go forward. Dual citizenship. We pray for our leadership. We pray for our land. We pray for godly leadership. We pray for godly decisions, but we also pray that the gospel may go forward. Ultimately, our citizenship in heaven is all that matters. Citizenship in the United States is nice, but the only one that really matters is citizenship for all of eternity. In our country, we have what's called birth tourism. People come to the United States as tourists to give birth. So their child might have citizenship. How important that is to the world to be a citizen of the U.S. How important it should be to us this morning as believers as we gather together as his people and worship and praise and uh, present the gospel to a dying world. Our citizenship. My point is not that Christians should remain totally uninvolved in politics or civic activities. We ought to express our political beliefs in the voting booth, in our prayer time. It's appropriate to support legitimate measures to correct social and political wrongs. Complete non-involvement, I believe, would be contrary to what God's word says about doing good in society. Galatians 6 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. It would display a lack of gratitude for whatever amount of religious freedom the government allows us to enjoy. We can't be apathetic toward the government in politics. We have a responsibility. There are legal remedies, and we're looking forward to hearing that Roe versus Wade is overturned, but that's just going to overturn it nationally. Each state will still have their own right, and probably 26 of the states will even go more extreme than they are now. Uh, with abortion. But we have obligations and responsibilities and a balanced concern and to know what's going on in the government to be praying for the government and doing what we can but realizing that the ultimate is not the kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of God. And only when God changes hearts our lives changed, our minds changed, our viewpoints changed. The advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so political involvement should never displace the priority of preaching, teaching the, the gospel. There's certainly no prohibition to believers in being involved directly in government as civil servants. Some notable examples in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Joseph in Egypt, a man mighty for God, Daniel, Moses for a while, the centurion servant, Zacchaeus the tax collector, Cornelius the centurion, Sergius Paulus, all served in governmental capacities. But the issue is one of priority. Where is our priority? We do these things that are important to be involved. But the real priority, the greatest temporal good we can accomplish is the word of God. Just as God called ancient Israel, he has called the church to be a kingdom, a kingdom of priests a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And why has he done it? 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We can't protect or expand the cause of Christ by human, political, and social activism, no matter how great or sincere. Paul says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. It's a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. There's an old hymn, maybe some of you remember Beulah Land. Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. And the chorus says, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken for time won't matter anymore. That longing, because we are citizens of another. And then just to finish off this morning, we eagerly await for his coming. That word eagerly await in the Greek is constantly and with great expectation. Have you thought about his coming today? Did you think that today could be the day? When your citizenship is in heaven, you're living for another world. At the moment of your death or Christ's coming in his return will be the moment of our greatest riches. We have an inheritance, Peter says, that is imperishable, undefiled, that will not fade away, reserved. You get your reservations by being born again and reserved in heaven. We have a rich inheritance. You may not get any inheritances here on earth, but you have one in heaven, for the king is waiting. And in one moment, in a flash of time, all will change. And we'll be in glory and come into the riches of our eternal inheritance. And then the verse goes on to say, who shall change our vile bodies? He's not saying our bodies are evil. He's saying our bodies are frail. They're mortal. They're falling apart. The body of our humility. Sin has subjected this body to sickness, to weakness, to mortality. But it shall be changed from corruption to incorruption, from mortality to immortality, from weakness to power, from dishonor to glory. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In death, all of that glory is restored. And it will be fashioned like to his glorious body. Just like Jesus' body in heaven. The prototype of which we see on the Mount of Transfiguration. An emblem, a pledge of the glory. Incorruptible, immortal. A resurrection body like his according to the working, according to the energy of his power, of his might, the power and might that raised him from the dead will bring us to life again. He says, he was declared to be the son of God with power, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself, not only sin and Satan and the world, but death and the grave. Paul talks about our bodies here. He says our bodies will be transformed, they'll be conformed, they'll be made to be like him. These bodies are deteriorating. Most of you know we have a three-year-old grandson. 
and I love to get on the floor to play with him. That's the easy part. You know what the hard part is? Getting up. <laughs> yeah. And he'll say, Gaga, let me help you. You know, we're getting old, some of us. Things change. But he's going to change it all for us one day. Maybe some of you are saying, my, my best days are behind me. Let me tell you, if you're a believer, your best days are ahead of you. They're just around the corner. Bodies deteriorating, things we used to do that we can no longer do. But our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. The king is coming. He's coming for us. And when he does, he'll transform our earthly bodies. But until that time, we're, we have dual citizenship. And so the two questions I would ask this morning is, do you know that you have dual citizenship? Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you believed, repented, and found new life in Christ? And the second, then, if you do have dual citizenship, how are you stewarding your life? How are you living your life, your thoughts and your plans and the things that you do with your life, your time, your resources, your focus, your attention? Is heaven your control center? The answer to our national crisis is not in a donkey. The answer to our national crisis is not in an elephant. The answer to our national crisis is in a lamb. Father, we thank you for your word this morning that you grant to us citizenship here and now, enrollment in heaven. Father, I pray as citizens of heaven here on earth, that we would be good that which you've given to us, that we would want to know you, that we would want to know more about our homeland, we want to know more about the one that we're going to spend eternity with, that we would learn to praise you in a deeper and greater way. Father, that we would drink deeply of the resources, that we would appropriate every blessing that you've given to us now. And Lord, that we would be praying for those who don't know you, that we'd be praying for those in authority over us and remembering our nation, but knowing that the only hope is in the Lamb of God. Father, I pray now that you just take the words and, and fashion them that they might be meaningful uh, to our lives today and in the coming week. In the name of Jesus, amen.